I'm Anya, and I spent decades compartmentalizing and suppressing the different parts of myself. I woke up at age 40 exhausted, confused, and completely out of alignment. These days, I am definitely not your run-of-the-mill bored housewife. So if you are tired of the shame narrative around sex and pleasure, and you're ready to be all facets of yourself, let's create sexual alchemy. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, hello, darling listeners. It is really, really good to be back recording again after quite a long break. I have been traveling internationally. I did another training through the International School of Temple Arts, and it has been a while since I have been sitting here with my microphone and speaking with all of you, so it's really good to be back. I can't believe how quickly this year is flying. We are already into May, and it's just crazy. I can't believe that 2022 is going by in such a blur, and I wonder if you all are having the same experience that I am. Anyhow, it is wonderful to be sitting here and chatting with you again, and today I think I have a real treat. It was a real treat for me anyway. You know, I've been trying to dive into a variety of different arenas within sex and sexuality, within our own journeys through and to the places that we find ourselves today. And today's guest is no different. I have not explicitly invited any current sex workers on the show, although I do believe I've had a sex worker or two on the show, but not primarily to discuss their work and their art of sex work. But today that changes. Today we have somebody on the show who goes by Mistress Magdalena, and she runs the Academy Domina. And I'm looking through her website, I'm reading through her bio, and I'm recalling the two awesome conversations that we've had so far. We had an opportunity to do a bit of a pre-interview a while back, and then we finally had our conversation last week, and it was so wonderful. And yet here I am reading about this massively in charge larger-than-life woman on the Academy Domina website, and I'm looking through her Twitter and reading about her, and I have to tell you, she is just such an incredible force, and yet I think in this conversation, you're also going to see that she is such a beautiful soul who is coming to this work after doing a lot of her own work and a lot of her own healing. And she joined us today in a really contemplative conversation, really thinking about her own life journey, about what's brought her to the point where she is at today. And I just think you are going to appreciate her honesty, her integrity, and the way that she shows up in this conversation every bit as much as I did. So before we dive right into the conversation, I thought I would let you know a little bit about Magdalena. Um, She is a German and American dominatrix. She's got more than 10 years of professional experience. Right now she's based in Florida, but she also has a lot of experience in the Northeast and particularly in Philadelphia. And she is known for her perfect petite feet 
her sensually sadistic nature and her unapologetic dedication to discipline. She's strict, yet playful. She's cruelly sadistic, yet sensual. She's silly, yet sophisticated. And you will hear the intelligence, both emotional and mental, come through in this conversation with her. So sit back and enjoy and be ready to have perhaps some of your perspectives around domination and dominatrices challenged because I think she'll do that for you as she did for me. And I'm just grateful to know her and can't wait to continue the conversation. So enjoy. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Mistress Magdalena. It's so good to have you. Thank you, Anya. This was a a real honor to be invited. I'm excited. I'm really excited too, because, you know, you are the first Dom that I've spoken to on the show. And in fact, I think I might have had a guest or two before that has kind of dabbled in the sex work Mm -hmm. community, but to have somebody who's really, truly been there come on the show, I just feel really honored to have the opportunity to talk to you and to hear more about your story and kind of bring, I think a lot of people, when they hear sex work, they only think about like one sliver of population. And it's such a broad spectrum and a beautiful rainbow of what is out there. And I... I'm just really excited to be able to have somebody on to talk about that. Oh, this is going to be fun. (laughs) It's going to be very, very fun. Because you're right. Not only is it really a broad spectrum that keeps evolving, but usually um, there are all different types of incarnations of how we even come come to this profession. And um, I think it's good to give space for those stories because, you know, people's stories often surprise me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and I think as you just said, and you said kind of before we hit record, the number of incarnations that we go Mm -hmm. through to get to where we are is a huge piece of where we land at any given moment. Um, And you, one of the things that I'm really curious to hear about is how you know, how Mistress Magdalena was born and and where she came from for you. And so in, in an effort to like pay homage to her journey, where, where did that start for you in your life? You know, it's hard to really pinpoint where it started. I often just say that I'm a natural born kingster and I, Mm. I genuinely believe that. I remember way back in the day, you know, being four and five and I was, most of my best friends when I was really little were, were male. Um, and then I gradually would have one or two really tight female friends, but most of my friends were, were boys. And I remember playing doctor and I remember really enjoying being in charge more mm-hmm. than not. And even when I was playing with girls, I was often playing a dominant role. I was mm-hmm. the authority figure. I was in charge. And I remember from a very early age, having interactions with my close friends during these play times where I guess it was just like that first introduction to consent and how far we can push boundaries, but really enjoying almost a sadistic nature to the play and having to Mm. constantly negotiate compassion, 
with, you know, how far can we push our boundaries? Because there was a lot of um, both excitement, fear, and fun mixed up with that from a very young age. I think from there, by the time I became sexually active in my early teens, I was naturally drawn to the BDMS world. I remember playing as young as 15 and exploring and trying to get as much information as I possibly could, but there wasn't much exposure. And so I didn't really have a chance to learn until I was a squatter punk up in New York City in the mid 90s. And I remember, you know, going to St. Mark's and there was this one leather store and I walked past and I had to go in and the shopkeeps were just absolutely lovely. I guess it was a slow day. I can only assume, but Mm -hmm. they allowed us in and I was just enamored with the corsets and I just wanted to touch them and experience them. And this sweet, young, very, uh, just wonderfully, obviously gay man was like, would you like to be fitted in a corset? And I was over the moon. I was like, really? Because normally, you know, I was used to being ostracized a bit. We weren't we were obviously not customers, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just such a magical experience. Mm-hmm. And at that same time, I had known a few doms and um, professional dominatrixes. And I don't feel like they took me seriously at the time because I was one underage and two, you know, not quite on the level yet in many respects. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to spend as much time with them and learn from them. And then I remember probably around 17 and a half, I, um, was back down in Florida and I joined forces with a metalsmith who was very kinky and he was much older and we were not romantically involved by any stretch of the imagination, but we created a business together um, where we were making leather products um, and we'll just say accoutrement, Mm -hmm. paddles, whips, floggers, uh, swings. Uh, I was dabbling with corsetry. And so it was great because I, because I was in this business, I was part of this business and a vendor, I had access to all these things before I was even of age. So it was really fun. But there was a part of me that I knew, even though like I'm a natural switch, I knew that even though I really enjoyed both aspects of play, if it wasn't intimate and private, there was no friggin' way. Like I had a natural, like really strong resistance to being submissive. I was not going to submit to anyone unless it was my choice. And I felt really inspired to do so. And that was just not something that we were discussing much at the time. Maybe, uh, maybe I wasn't quite ready to open that question up and really explore. Mm-hmm. And so let's see, flash forward. I think I was about 19 at the time when I first interviewed at the Royal Castle in Center City, Mm -hmm. Philadelphia. So in my 20s, I worked there. And that could have been an absolute amazing launch pad for me. It could have. However, Mm -hmm. I was not quite ready. So I was in baby dom mode where I was just becoming aware of how much healing work I had in front of me. And I didn't understand yet that I could have combined both of my worlds and gotten my needs met in that department. I really felt like I um, was playing too much in the shadow without having any understanding or guidance. And I'm still to this day kicking myself because I'll never forget. um, I was a squatter punk in West Philly. So I remember being in my kitchen and my squad on the phone with Princess Pauline and she 
I was telling her that I needed a break because I needed, I really needed to, to heal my relationship and with myself. And I didn't think that this work was, was helpful. And she offered me personal coaching and counseling. Mm -hmm. And I declined because at the time I did not truly know what that meant and what that was. And to this day, I'm like, oh my goodness, I could have <laughs> expedited so much, so much healing. personal work. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't actually return to professional domination until, <laughs> until my last marriage was falling apart. Mm. So I was in my early to mid thirties. Yeah. And it felt like a calling. Mm. It felt like such a strong pool. And I was, one thing I noticed I had been coaching. I had just started coaching business practice, focusing on helping men with all sorts of sexual issues and just understanding women. And it came up very quickly that a lot of these men really needed some kind of kink in their life mm -hmm. and they didn't know how to approach it. There was a ridiculous amount of shame. Um, they had no idea how to talk about it. And so one thing led to another. And not only did I start begin to focus on kink again in, in a very strong and more therapeutically conscious way, I decided it was time for me to return mm. to the profession. And it's just been, well, we'll say a steady evolution of, of integration ever since. Yeah. And I just feel really grateful for it. It's given me so much. Yeah. I can imagine that it has. And one of the things that you've talked about, you know, if you had realized at the time that marrying your work within domination with the mm -hmm. work you wanted to be doing, your inner work, that mm -hmm. healing, how, how it could have, you know, expedited so much of that for you. And now you're sitting in a place where looking back, you can see that mm -hmm. and yeah. you help others heal through domination and through getting in touch with their own submission. And I would really love to unpack that a little bit because I don't, I don't know if people really realize the amount of healing that can come from owning your dominance, owning your submission. And that's something that you and I very briefly touched on, but the way you stated it was so beautiful. I'd love to give you the floor to talk a little bit about healing and dominance and submission. Oh, yay. Yeah. To me, this is the juice. And yeah. the more I go deeper into my own personal growth work, my own healing, especially, especially trauma healing, mm -hmm. the more I realize, um, I was telling a friend the other day, kind of popped in my mind that submission is one of the greatest gifts we can give to our nervous system. And I remember Peter Levine, I'm, I'm probably going to misquote him. And so I apologize in advance, but he said something similarly, except instead of using the word submission, he used the word surrender. And he said like surrender is the optimal state for our nervous system. Ooh. Right. Isn't that powerful? It is. And, and I think it's true. It's Absolutely. I mean, if we look at polyvagal theory and we understand that ventral is the that flow state, that state of absolute safety where we mm -hmm. can even surrender, that is our that is our epitome of health and well-being. That's when everything's working properly. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when our hormones are regular. We have full regulation of our body. We feel safe. Mm -hmm. We can be happy. We can grow. You know, we have that stability. And I think that, especially in this day and age, 
everyone needs an opportunity to constantly revisit their safety. And this isn't discussed, but in our community, in the King community, it is imperative. Yeah. And I just think it's absolutely beautiful recognizing how important it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's a game changer so. for a lot of people. I think so too. And I think that if we can even unpack it further, a lot of my, my assumption is that a lot of your clients come to see you looking for that looking for that surrender, looking for that quieting of their nervous system. And perhaps, you know, they might really, really love the dominance, but do they love the dominance more or do they love the state of surrender that it puts them in more? I love that you're asking this. (laughs) And I I just think it's such an important, I think it's an important piece for people to understand because they look at dominance and submission and and really just make it about the kink itself. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful kink and I love the expression of it myself. But I also think there there's so much therapy that's happening in these sessions. And I would just I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience with that. Oof. Great question. So much as I'm like, all the wheels are turning. I'm like, oh, there's sure. This and there's this. So before we dive in, I just want to, I want to mention some of the common misconceptions about dominance. Please. Um, you know, one is dominance is not aggressive. It's not loud. Yeah. It's not violent. It's not out of control of itself. In fact, that's the opposite of dominance. And I think it's really important for people to understand this because I've had moments in my life in my more younger, immature times in my life where I confused control for dominance, you know, like my, my marriage, um, Mm -hmm. boy, I, I was craving dominance and I ended up attracting a narcissist who just wanted to control me. And none of that felt safe. And it was incredibly disruptive to my nervous system. So I really want to mention that to people. Submission is a beautiful, beautiful gift to our nervous system, but you have to make sure that you are with someone who really is a dominant and to identify a dominant a truly dominant person knows how to dominate themselves which means they have Mm self-control you know um i find some of the most dominant situations i've ever been in or even um created for others it was really quiet it was like almost a whisper but everything was so tangibly controlled that it created a safety that without any effort subspace is possible mm-hmm. and so that that's something i want to share to anyone who's craving submission and also wanting to go deeper into their own ability to dominate is it's really about self-control it's really about holding holding a container with so much integrity and personal mm-hmm. responsibility that um it creates a safety that immediately is felt by the nervous system. Yeah. Um, I like to relate it as kind of in a more benign example is when we're around animals, I think one of, one of the reasons a lot of people absolutely adore being around animals is because one animals are authentic, but two, we have this almost inner knowing that in order for this animal to want to be with us, we have to be safe for the animal to want to be with us. So Mm. we automatically soften our voices. We calm our behavior. We slow ourselves down to build trust. 
And in the process, when we have this lovely interaction with an animal, we are also experiencing the repercussions of what we just did for them in our own nervous system response. Mm. And it's just, to me, that's what submission and domination really is about. That's so, so powerful. Yeah, I just, I love it. Just, I can't think of anything else I want to talk about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when you mentioned like what people are craving and what they come to me for, what's fascinating is it's really only those who have, have, uh, dove in and have some experience that understand that this exists for them. Because what I see a lot with some of my more novice um, clientele, they come for something, they come for some some serious degradation. They want to be mm-hmm. humiliated, right? And uh, sometimes this is coupled with physical pain, sometimes not. But there's something going on there. There's a deep wound that is mm-hmm. just begging and crying out from its shadows to be seen, to be accepted, to, to have some kind of space, right? Mm-hmm. And there are times where that work is a natural progression into the deeper work, and I don't have to deviate from their original request. Sometimes it it can flow. But there's been other times where I, as we got started and I really felt felt my, my sub's energy I, re- I recognized immediately that they needed something else. They needed something a little bit more soft, a little mm-hmm. bit more supportive, because what they were actually doing was instead of integrating a part of themselves that needed to be seen and accepted and heard and expressed, they were radically denying a part of themselves that needed to feel okay. Mm. One of the most fascinating things that I'm hearing is your level of attunement and your level of intuitiveness Mm -hmm. with the clients that you're working with and how important it must be to get to the place where you can be in tune with them, Mm -hmm. knowing what they may need is something that they may not even realize that they need Mm, and, and your ability to meet them there, even if they didn't realize it. And I just think how powerful that must be for them to finish a session, even if it's not exactly what they had in their mind from a fantasy perspective mm-hmm. or a healing perspective or whatever it is that they're playing out and and know that they leave still better off for the gift that you're able to give them in that space mm-hmm. of attunement and intuitiveness. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say the most common request I get, because one of the things, um, I don't deviate from my intake when I have a new client. You know, they they have to fill out an application. We we do an interview. The interviews are at least 30 minutes long. This is really important for me. And this is how I get that first look into their psyche and, mm-hmm. and their kink and their fetishes and where that is originating from and what they need. And one of the key questions I ask them um, after we get through the application itself is, how do you want to feel when you leave your first session with me? Mm. And oftentimes they're all kind of just a little stunned and they're like, wait, I I need to think about it. And I'm like, take your time. Mm -hmm. And the most common response I get is, you know, floating relief or a sense of being exhausted, you know, Mm. like breaking through that spent. Yeah. Yeah. And they all relate to, that place in our nervous system where we just want to feel 
I guess it's relief. Yeah. Sense of relief, you know, emptied out. Yeah. Um, all the anxiety is swept away or pulled out of us. Mm -hmm. Um, all of that relentless self-absorption, that endless like internal dialogue and chatter and constant approval seeking or questioning that we, that we go through in times of insecurity or, you know, not even aware that we're doing it, that gets silenced. Mm. And to me, that is a huge, huge relief. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and yeah, they, we all want to experience those those high levels of endorphins and dopamine. And I think this is a beautiful way to get it. And I think it's a very natural way to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to worry so much. Like it's sustainable too. Often my clients, they'll say that it lasts them. They'll stay on a high for about a week. And I just absolutely love hearing that because yeah. and I feel like that's the gift. It is. It absolutely is. And I think that when you, you talked a little bit earlier about flow state and, and the way that that's relating to me and what we're talking about right now is like, they're receiving this gift from you being in your flow state Mm -hmm. and you also are in your flow state and getting to receive that benefit as well. And -hmm. it becomes this mutual exchange between the two of you. And of course, for you, it's also work. And it is something that you're able to probably cut cords and detach from, you Mm -hmm. know, when they leave with their energy. And that's probably a very important part of your process, kind of getting back everything that's yours for yourself and sending them on their way with everything that's theirs. But Mm -hmm. I think also then there's just that, that mutual exchange of it all. Um, There's just something really powerful in that. Wow, Anya, you really touched on some really important parts and pieces that I don't think I've ever spoken about with other people before, unless Mm. I was in a mentorship session. And they're so crucial. So thank you for bringing that up. And one of them is those emotional and energetic boundaries. Mm. Um, And I think they're not just crucial for professionals. I mean, they're really a requirement for professionals, but I think for ourselves, it's, to me, it's, it's how we actually um, obtain emotional maturity is really understanding what's personal, what's not, and what's ours and what's not. Yeah. And um, as a Capricorn, I think I'm just wired to be very into my work, but I would say this work has been the most profound for me because Mm -hmm. to me, the parameters and the expectations, the protocols and the role is so clearly laid out Mm -hmm. that even if I'm having a day where I'm not in my power Mm -hmm. or I'm distracted with whatever bullshit's going on in my world, maybe I have some weird internal drama, I can silence that and put on my Dom hat and it immediately shifts me out of that and it comforts and soothes my nervous system in the process because when I'm in this role and especially in the in the beginning years of phases of going back into this role I had to clean up my vocabulary I had to clean up the way I communicated both to myself and and to clients and it it was especially apparent when I was writing emails you know in response to them or follow up or whatever I was like oh no I can't say that that sounds victim-y as fuck and I'm like oh that's passive and oh wow and it made me really hyper focus on okay what is power and sovereignty 
And how do you hold that space and really own your shit? And, you know, Mm. I came up very quickly with the fact that in order to hold our power and have our power, we have to take personal responsibility. There's no other way. There's just no other way. It just doesn't work. And so it helped me clean up everything in my life, being a dom. It made parenthood so much easier and (laughs) but um i the emotional boundaries piece and really one thing that made it easy for me is um creating a ceremony out of the experience and out of the session you know Mm -hmm. very clear open flowing but um but a standard of expectations behavior dialogue and same with the closing and the aftercare you know everything it's a chance to really check in with their energetic field. Yes. Really checking in what do they need most right now? Usually it's hydration and <laughs> nourishment and rest. Yeah. Yeah. And making sure that they give that to themselves. Yeah. Everything you're talking about right now is just really alive and present for me. Um, you don't have any way of knowing this, but I just came off of a week long intensive of going through some training around some of these things within the energetics. And I am doing a deep dive into the realm of sexual shamanism. Oh, so exciting. And everything you're talking about, just like it's just coming to me that the work you are doing is that. Mm -hmm. You're balancing these energies. You're holding your power in a protected field, working with people, helping them heal whether they even realize that's what they're doing or not, you know, healing finds us when we need it, not how we think we should get it. And I think all of these things, (laughs) all of these things that you're saying are just so on point with that in terms of owning, owning your own power and taking responsibility, protecting energies. And another piece that I think I'm hearing a lot of, and of course it makes perfect sense, is the difference between what you might have in terms of a personal relationship with partner, with children, with other people in your life versus what we'll call the transpersonal experience that you're having with your clients. And when you're showing up for them in the role as their dom or healer or call it what you want, when you're showing up in that way and having that connection in with them at a transpersonal level, it's so powerful and it's not personal. And so you're able to really give that gift of yourself to them. And it's something that they can take with them, but there doesn't have to be that kind of cord between you moving forward. And, and it's just, it's just its own, its own type of healing. It is. I love that perspective. You really got me thinking. One thing that I absolutely adore about this work is for me, I get to be 100% authentic. I'm not really playing a role. Mm-hmm. Not really. Mm. I mean, I, I, I consider myself thousands of people and multiple beasts. I'm just like, oh, yeah. And this, in this moment, this person needs the mother role. And in this person, they need this. And, yeah. and it just feels so good to be able to play yeah. and to be able to create that sacred space for another person to fully express and play authentically without yeah. any judgment, holding back or anything. And I was thinking how the biggest difference with those cords 
I think is that with the professional work, there are such clear expectations that the boundaries are so solid Mm -hmm. that we don't have those same situations. And the only time I've ever really, um, for myself and for my numerous friends who are also professional sex workers and dominatrixes, et cetera, that they've, that they've had boundaries broken or Mm -hmm. compromised, I should say, was Mm -hmm. when they were not holding that containment. Yeah. Usually almost always, but not always. there's some kind of intoxication going on. There's some kind of just energetic compromise, you know? And if it's not intoxication, then it is a form of like depression. There's Mm -hmm. like something that's like taken over. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's a really good point. And, and so in that case, it makes it a lot easier to hold that containment and those boundaries versus our, our deeply personal private relationships where all of our wounds get exposed. Absolutely. And, and triggered. And that's, that's the life that we live, right? Those are the personal experiences and personal connections. And, and I want to talk a little bit more about some of your personal connections in the sense that when we connected prior to having the actual interview, we both talked about motherhood and motherhood in the sense of what, how can we show up in motherhood understanding the importance that our sexuality and our, and our connection to our own, you know, kind of sexuality Mm -hmm. and sensuality in an appropriate way with our kids that is age appropriate and whatnot, but also Mm -hmm. sex positive. And I really love the way when we were talking about it, you really talked about how it's important for you that you have created a sex positive home, Mm -hmm. but that you're doing it in a way that feels appropriate for the age of your children and what they do know versus what they don't know and things like that. And I, I'd love to hear a little more from you about how, how you see that and, and, you know, the boundaries that you play with in that space and being both a sex worker and a mother and Mm -hmm. how they don't have to be in conflict with one another. Yeah, no, this is definitely a part of my evolution because in the beginning I was fighting myself because I felt like two different beings and I didn't know how to integrate. Um, But it only took about a year to really get that solid. And I'm fortunate I have a wonderful spiritual teacher and mentor that um, told me early on that Magdalena was my highest spiritual path, which blew my mind because I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> um, now I'm understanding more and more what that what that's about. But um, the first thing I had to do was really get solid on my boundaries. And what I did was I created like my home is my children's home. Mm-hmm. So I don't bring anything from work home. And for a while it was really easy because, you know, I had, I had my own sex dungeon, right? So if I wanted to play with my partner or my lovers or whatever, that would all happen over there. It was great. Everything was in one place. Um, unfortunately, since COVID happened, I closed up my local dungeon. So it's a little tricky, but I we're already um, in the process of, of creating other options. It's working. But once I got really clear on one, my priorities, and then two, what my boundaries looked like based on those priorities, it just became easier and easier. 
So um, of course my children are school age. They do not know the full um, range of my work and nor mm -hmm. should they, because that would just be incredibly confusing to them. Um, I would say one of the things I'm really grateful for is I was born and raised in Germany. And so I consider myself half German. I had a lot of that German culture really um, spilled over and I didn't even understand that until I came back to the States full time. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of more European in many ways. So um, from the very get go, one of the things that we established was nudity is natural. And under no circumstances do we objectify another person's body. And just creating that as like a basis for them to understand their own body autonomy mm -hmm. and boundaries and understand that it's completely natural to have works of art of, of naked individuals that became the norm. And so I haven't had any difficulty with that. It's been really nice, especially raising boys. Mm -hmm. they, um, and so I think that that's a very easy thing to create with children. Yeah. Now, one of my clear boundaries, my, my personal belief is that explicit sexual activity is not for children. Mm -hmm. I think it's imperative to protect innocence. I think that's a sign of um, wisdom. Yeah. And and I think it's important that we protect uh, innocence. But to me, that doesn't mean, you know, demonizing it, you know, it, it just means, oh, no, that's for when you're older. Yeah. You know, right now you get to be a kid and sex is not for children. And I think that was kind of like the the conversation piece that was really helpful is, oh, that's just not for kids. And if anyone's trying to do that to a child, then they're abusing the child because, you know, that, that doesn't work. That's not right. And just yeah. making that just the baseline. And so now my oldest is 11. He just went through his uh, fifth grade. Um, what is it like? I should know what they call it. Uh, reproductive the class the <laughs> talk so, at school yeah it's been really fun so he comes to the to the table every now and then with like oh yeah I know what that's about you know claiming that he understands in windows now um and he hasn't really brought too many questions to the table but my what I love is that my kids have always known that they can come to me with any questions about their body I remember I think when my youngest was like five or six he was so excited he's like mom mom I was able to retract my foreskin a little bit in the shower. And I was like, oh, okay. Did it hurt? <laughs> he was like, no, no, but it's okay. But that was neat, right? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> really cool. Yeah. And then I made it really clear to them ever since they were toddlers, because I think that was the first time I, I witnessed them masturbating, is um, you get to do whatever you want to your body. It's your body. It's yours. You need yeah. to take care of it. So if you want to touch your privates, the only rules is that you make sure you wash your hands before and after because you don't want those pee-pee germs or poo-poo germs getting on anything. And two, you do it privately so that it's your time with your body. And then boom, mm -hmm. that was easy and done. We yeah. haven't had any issues about it. Yeah. So no shame. We're getting rid of all that legacy of shame that has been a part of our numerous bloodlines for years. I'm just done. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, there's no, I mean, I guess we make lots of room for shame in our lives, but I would like there to be no room for it, you know? I love that. Yeah. Especially with children and new generations. And it gives me so much hope for the things that they are 
able to expand their minds to think about, to talk about with one another. I love the conversations that we hear kids these days having that we didn't have, or even just general acceptance. Yeah, general acceptance. But yeah, we didn't even have the words for this now, like back then. No. I was thinking to myself, no. I'm like, wow, but I've chosen pronouns for myself back then. I'm like, I probably would have played along with they for a while. Right. Now I'm just like, whatever, I, any pronoun is fine by me. <laughs> like, well, but like, that's the thing is that they, they get this opportunity to think about it. Like you just said, we didn't even have that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I just, I just want to honor like their ability to stretch their mind, to think about things in ways that we just didn't have the, mm-hmm. everything has been binary in life up to this point for, for our generation, assuming kind of lumping us a little bit in the same place. And, and what I love is that there is literally nothing binary (laughs) for, for this generation of kids. And that just opens up the whole world for them getting to think about who they are in the context of the world. And, you know, these gender identities that we have created and, you know, what, what the definitions are that go with each. I won't forget when my kiddo came home from school, they were probably in first or second grade and they came home and they were like, well, so-and-so came to school last year as a boy and this year they're a girl. And, um, and so they're not using the same bathroom as me anymore. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, if it was like a big deal at school today that they wanted to use the girl's bathroom, but all the students are just like, whatever, they're a girl. So let them go to the girl's bathroom. And I'm like, I love that you guys can hold the space for that in a way that, that adults overcomplicate it all. Right. Because they are making it about body parts and, you know, all of this rather than thinking about how a person feels on the inside. And for them, it just isn't complicated at all. They're like, they Mm want to be a girl. They're a girl. Like, cool. I'll call you your new name. I don't care. I absolutely love it. I mean, my kids, their first transgender friend um, clearly stated their, their identity and their gender by age four. Mm -hmm. And so they just, they've grown up with this and both adults and kids, in their lives and they just understand that we get to have personal choice yeah and we get to explore what what's true for us and what's real for us and i just think that is that's so hugely free compared to the way i don't know how you were raised but i have conservative family was a very conservative southern baptist to the point where i remember my grandmother um she was offended by a, a diagram, like a drawing of a self-breast exam in my pantyhose mm-hmm. packet. I remember in the maybe the early 90s, she didn't want to look at it, you know, and I was just mm-hmm. thinking of how this sexual repression and shame has just really trapped people and closed their minds and hurt their hearts and created such a dramatic and unnecessary disconnection between people. which is, I think, why a lot of this healing work is being done today for people for whom they were told how they had to be and what was and was not acceptable and what they could and could not embrace. And I don't for a minute think that the generation coming up today won't have their own unpacking to do of things. (laughs) But my hope is that maybe it's not around the exact same things and around some of these constructs that have been created that really do cause harm to people. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I have the same hopes. What I'm seeing is that what they're going to be dealing with and what they need to learn is, is different. Mm-hmm. Um, they have different expressions of courage and independence and responsibility, you know, what it means to really hold space for all parts of ourselves, but still take responsibility for ourselves. I think that one's going to be a big one for a lot of people. Mm. Um, but it's, it's really exciting. It, I'm yeah. thrilled to be a part of just being alive as a human this day and age is such a blessing. Yeah. People talk about how hard it is. And I'm like, come on, you guys. <laughs> one of the reasons we have, and this is my opinion, my belief, but I think one of the reasons we have so, so, uh, such high rates of anxiety and depression is yeah. that because life is so safe. Yeah. That our, our, why we're wired to be more attracted to the negative and to what's dangerous. That's how our nervous system is designed. Mm-hmm. And if we are not having those day-to-day interactions where we actually have to keep ourselves safe, we're going to go into all sorts of different overcompensation um, in our minds, <laughs> which yeah. unfortunately is also wired to focus on the negative and to focus on per- perceived danger. Mm-hmm. Um, not even, you know, because the nervous system it will respond to even a thought of danger, even if there is absolutely no existence of true physical danger present. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The nervous system doesn't care. No. And it remembers, you know, it, it holds on to story that the body has experienced and goes right back into it, you know? And, and it's like, oh, even if I'm not having this exact thing happening right now, what is happening is making me remember this thing that happened when I was 12. And now that's the response that's that body's going to give me, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. It's a big deal. It is. Yeah. But I absolutely adore being a mother. Um, I kind of joke around that I raise my kids like it's still the eighties. <laughs> It's true. I'm like, just go off on your bikes. Don't come back until it's dark. Right. <laughs> um, but that feels good to me. Um, I also have the privilege of raising boys and they're very assertive boys. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not worried about anybody trying to uh, harm them. They will. <laughs> they will. They're quite adept. They are. They, they know what's up and they are not at all interested in giving their power away. So I... I'm so curious at what it's going to be like when my kids are old enough to actually understand the work that I do. Yeah. And they know that I work with sex, right? Because my coaching business is also about sex um, and helping people understand it. And so they understand, it's nice that they know that that's not a taboo topic. That's just an adult topic. Yeah. And they know that I am also a fetish model, which is just a natural component of being a dom, it seems, especially Mm -hmm. in this day and age. And so they adore any of my latex and shoes and any of the things that I feel comfortable sharing with them. They just think it's great. And anytime I get like a gift Mm -hmm. uh, in the mail that's lingerie or shoes, they have to be the one to try it on first. (laughs) Love it. It's so fun. I let them. I just, you know, careful, don't break the shoes <laughs> <laughs> or your neck. <laughs> they're, they're, they're great. So yeah, I would say it's actually easier. The hardest part is getting my clients to understand that I don't live in a fantasy 24 <laughs> seven. That when I say I'm not available, it's for a good reason. I would say that's the, that's the only difficulty. Yeah. Everything else is an easy to manage and balance and juggle and um, definitely 
being a mother, being a single mother sets me back on a professional level. I don't have as much time to travel and be a part of that jet setting life, but I like do, and I get enough, I get enough of that in that I don't, I don't really feel excluded from it. And what I receive from being a mom and being the mom that I really always wanted and wanted to be is so much more satisfying than, you know, to me, like an extra 10 K a month or, or constantly jetting around to parties and whatnot. I, I've kind of been there, did that. And, um, the connection, the trust, the communication, and just the incredible laughter that I have with my kids is beyond anything that, I mean, the relationship we have is just top tier. And what's Mm -hmm. been so funny about doing this work and having little boys, especially, is there's these, this chunk of years, and I don't know if it ever goes away, but Mm -hmm. everything is about poop, penises, and buttholes, like everything, (laughs) all the jokes. And it's just become hilarious to me that we can joke around about that and we can laugh about it. And I'm of course not offended. Right. <laughs> like part of my life too. And um, it's just hilarious to me how natural it is when we're given the opportunity to express those kind of inclinations without shame or judgment. And, you know, like they know not to just discuss these things around other people or, or pop those kind of jokes in the middle of the grocery store. But man, we laugh so hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best. And when you can just be easy and free flowing with it and with them and their development, it's, it's the best. And they're benefiting from it as much as you are. Right. I mean, it, in some ways as parents, it helps us heal some of our own stuff around these things Oh, so much by being able to just be more real with them. And then it Mm -hmm. creates much more space for them to be more real too. Absolutely. It's setting such a powerful example. I'm looking forward. Like I still have a few more years before I'm going to get all the, the sex questions and the and the how-to right now, it's like, how do you tell a girl that you like her, you know, and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, and it's really fun. But I'm curious from your point of view, because yours, you have a few that are older than mine, and couple, um, yeah. how's that been for you? You know, what's Gosh. really interesting for me is, so we're a blended family, mm-hmm. and the oldest and youngest are my husband's from his first marriage, and the middle is mine from my first marriage. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that there's just a difference around openness in terms of how they've been raised from very, very young. So um, the the two kiddos that I did not birth um, were not around me when they were much younger, but my son grew up in an environment where nudity was very much, you know, open and walking around and whatever. And I didn't really stop that until I told him, I said, if you ever get to the point where you want me to like, you know, not be naked out in the living room, let me know. You know, if that makes you uncomfortable, let me know. And that didn't really happen until he was like seven, mm-hmm. six or seven. And so that was really kind of the first time that I was like, oh, okay, I'll be more mindful then if that makes you uncomfortable. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's been a little interesting because my oldest and youngest don't really have any desire to talk about anything with regard to sex or relationships or anything like that. 
But with my bio kiddo, we are talking a lot about that type of thing lately because they're going through their sexual education at school and we're talking about trying to supplement it a little bit because Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if the system was going to be as open as I would want him to be hearing about. I also think it's important that we talk and not outsource sex education for our children to only school um, because I think there are other ways that I would like to talk about it with them. So he and I are having a lot of conversation about this type of stuff. And more recently, I've been a little bit more honest with him about the direction of the work that I would like to be doing Mm -hmm. around working with people and and helping them, you know, coaching them through things and helping them heal things, including sexual stuff, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I haven't gone into great detail, but you know, it's like, it doesn't make him uncomfortable, but he doesn't necessarily want to talk a lot about it. You know, like, what does that look like? What kind of work are you talking about? Although he did ask me the other day, so are you, are you going to be having sex with people to like help them? And I was like, no, but there is that, that does happen. And, you know, that's also a valid form of work. It's, it's just not the work that I necessarily think is calling me, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to make sure that he wasn't creating a shame story around that either, you know? Right. So that's, that's kind of where we're at right now, still trying to figure out what's appropriate. You know, I would love to talk about it a little bit more with my 17 year old mm-hmm. stepdaughter, but also have to respect some of the boundaries that, you know, that her, her, her mom puts in place and want to make sure that I'm not stepping on those toes. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of an interesting dance having that kind of blended family and where can I go as deep as, you know, I might want to go and be as open as I might want to be. It's tricky. I just want to applaud you for setting such a great example on how to communicate boundaries and Mm -hmm. consent with your, with your kid, because I mean, it's huge. I mean, not once in my entire life as uh, a child or a young adult, did anyone actually ask for me to share with them when I was comfortable or uncomfortable around them, Mm. you know, like there was, Mm. there was none of that. It was just kind of deal with it. And, um, Mm. you're uncomfortable, get over it, you know? Mm. And I think that that's a really nice thing that we get to break. We get to shift. Yeah. Um, no more of that nonsense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're humans having a human experience too, right? Mm-hmm. Just because they're an age that doesn't, you know, classify them as quote unquote adult, which there's many adults out here who are not adults, yeah, does not remove their voice from them and their mm-hmm. choice from them. And I think we, a lot of us were raised in times where just by default of how old we were, we didn't have a choice. No, we didn't. And we I didn't. don't. You knew that we could. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's what's so powerful about the example that you're setting is not only are you asking, like offering a choice, but you're getting him to really reflect what are his boundaries, what what is he consenting to, what what um what are their comfort levels, mm-hmm. and I think that this is really important. We have one main rule in our house, um, followed by the golden rule. Right. But the one main rule is always pay attention. And that doesn't just mean to our external environment. It also really means our internal environment as well. Mm -hmm. I want them to start being aware of how are they feeling? um, How do they feel around certain people? 
you know, I want them to really start honing their own intuition and their inner guidance because I think mm-hmm. that, that was taken away from so many of us for sure. from religion, from authority figures, from all sorts of things. And, you know, that's our seat of power. So I think it's really beautiful that you're, you're getting your, your child to really reflect on, okay, how do, how do I actually feel about that? Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I can voice it. Oh, and then I can change my mind. Like, definitely can change your mind at any time. Yeah. Uh, I have so enjoyed this conversation. I feel like we could keep it going forever. It just feels like we just need a cup of coffee and, you know, (laughs) but maybe there'll be a part two. Maybe we'll have the chance to connect again and kind of keep that that going. And I'm just so appreciative of your time. Anything you want to share with my listeners about Academy Domina, about anything else that you would like to make sure I'll, I'll make sure it's in the show notes where to find you and all of that goodness. Anything that you want to want to share? Thank you, Anya. That would be wonderful. So our website is theacademydomina.com. We're about to revamp um, because we're moving more and more into education. So I have mm. been offering a femdom mentorship program for the past couple of years, and it's just been very exclusive. It just, you know, people reach out to me personally, and we're about to start actually creating a platform where people can just apply, uh, without mm. us having a personal relationship. And this is predominantly online with a couple in-person training, uh, workshops, I absolutely love this because to me, yes, there's a lot of technical skills. There's a lot of professional skills that are, mm-hmm. are necessary, but the energetics, the boundary and the personal power piece is so huge. And so it's, it's just been a blast getting to know everybody involved in the program and just seeing their evolution. It's so fun. Oh, beautiful. Um, aside from that, no, it's, I'd say we're keeping it really simple right now. Um, That's awesome. Everything else I'm doing is just typical professional Dom offerings. Yeah. Well, then we will send people there and cannot wait to connect with you again in the future and all the best to you between now and then. Thank you. Same to you. Friends. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. And one of the things that I would love to enlist your help with is getting some more rates and reviews for this beautiful little show that I am enjoying putting out for all of you. If you have a moment and you feel so inclined, I would be indebted and grateful if you would go to either iTunes or Spotify and give me some feedback and hopefully it's five star. So if you're enjoying Sexual Alchemy, spend a little time to do that for me. It would be a great help to me and it would mean the world. Have a beautiful week. 